that I believe God has nudged me with today. It's a message about commitment. And I'm doing this in preparation, not for Christmas, but for the first of this coming year of 2019. I remember being a teenager thinking if we ever made the year 2000, it would be amazing. When I was a teenager, I thought that way, and here we are. 2019, 2020 will be around the corner, and we're still here. And as our world begins to take shape more and more for the end time, I want to submit to every child of God in the building, if you're backslidden here today, if you're lukewarm, if you don't have the Holy Ghost, uh, it's not a time to be less. Now is not the time to be less. It's time to be more in your relationship with God than you've ever been. So I'm casting a broad net here today to everyone in the house, including myself. I want to call your attention to Joshua chapter 8, verse 32, if you'll notice the screen. And he wrote there upon the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he wrote in the presence of the children of Israel. And all Israel and their elders and officers and their judges stood on this side, the ark, and on that side before the priests, the Levites, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, as well as a stranger, as he that was born among them, half of them over against Mount uh, Gerizim, and half of them over against Mount Ebal, as Moses, a servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterwards he read all the words of the law, the blessings and cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word, there was not a word of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel with the women and the little ones and the strangers that were conversant among them. I want to preach to you for a little while this morning, and I'll explain this reading in Joshua chapter 8 in a moment. But I want to preach to you for a little while this morning about the recovery of lost ground. The recovery of lost ground. Would everybody say, thank the Lord for the Word. Thank you for standing in your patience. God bless you. You may be seated. The scriptures that I just read are the climax of a great celebration The Jews had just given an offering of gratitude to the Lord, and now Joshua was leading the people in a recommitment. He was leading them in a recommitment to absolute obedience to the law of Moses. What brought this about begins in Joshua chapter 6. They had the amazing victory of conquering Jericho, in Joshua chapter 6, and then in chapter 7, when they went to battle Ai, they had a very miserable and embarrassing defeat. And a lot of it was because of Achan and his sin that he committed when they conquered Jericho. So much of the 8th chapter of the book of Joshua is a record of the ultimate victory at Ai after their humiliating defeat 
in chapter 7. You'll need to read the story of the strategy which Joshua had to adopt in order to recover the ground that had been lost. And if you would do that, you would read the account of how every able-bodied man in Israel was flung into the battle against Ai in order that it should be conquered. No one was given a pass. None of the men were allowed to stay at home and say, well, you don't feel good today and you're not in a good mood, so you stay home. Every man was commissioned to fight against Ai. Ai, the first time they tried to defeat them, they thought that 2,000 men would be plenty. But against Ai's 12,000 men, now Israel, Joshua had put together some 35,000 men of their army to go and defeat Ai, in which they did. And they learned and we learned. After their miserable and humiliating, embarrassing defeat at Ai, that they discovered that recovering lost ground can be very difficult, can be very challenging, can be very disturbing. And I don't care what you say, no matter what ground they lost, the men's lives they lost and the humiliation at Ai the first time, they never got those back. Those lives were never restored because those men were killed in battle. So if you were to sit down alone with your Bible and reflect on this account, I think you would find that the recovery of lost ground and the business of living for God can be difficult sometimes. Thirty minutes of willful disobedience in the life of a child of God has often resulted in thirty years of being without blessing from God. Today's going to be real similar to last Sunday. I'm going to ask you to lend me your ear. And uh, the Walker family really helped me out last Sunday, and I appreciate it deeply, and I'd like to apply the same today. When I talk about the Walker family, I talk about those that walk in and out of church all the time when preaching's going on. So some, after living for God for years, have laid down their duties for a while. they made friends with the world. And that person's walk with God is damaged for years. I want to say here in passing, and I'm going to build up to this point in a few moments, but it's amazing to me at what people will do when they're coming out of sin. They'll leave old habits behind. They'll leave old lifestyles behind. They put a lot of things on the altar of repentance when they come out of sin. And there's a whole lot of things that's washed away in the, in the water baptism. But after they've served God for a while, any little bitty thing can cause somebody to lose out and lose their relationship with God. The most prevalent thing I see in our immediate area is when people have been offended. Their feelings have been hurt. They've been hurt by a preacher, a pastor, or a fellow child of God, whoever it may be. It's amazing what people will do coming out of sin for the first time into a relationship with God, but how little it takes to sidetrack them and oftentimes cause them to lose out with God uh, later on in their relationship with God. Many a person has come to a place 
where they have no real vision for a perishing world, no burden for a lost soul, and no real heart in the work that he or she does for the Lord. If you were to ask a person why, or if you could get that person to ask themselves why, that person could look back to a time, and even when perhaps for a short time, they turned away from God, and it makes recovering lost ground difficult and challenging. What is the greatest danger? Drifting is the greatest danger. What do, you, what do you know? Does anybody know exactly what you have to do to backslide? Nothing. You don't have to do anything to lose your relationship with God. Years ago at Niagara Falls, a young man was employed as a guide. Having nothing to do one day, he moored his boat well above the cataract and lay it down to rest. And rocking on the bosom of the ever-moving waters, he fell asleep. He thought he had tied the boat securely, but with its constant swaying in the water, his mooring finally loosed, and with its unconscious occupant asleep on the inside, began to drift with the current. Spectators on the shore, seeing that he was in grave danger, shouted loudly to him to try to awaken him that he might save himself, while the current at that point was not so rapid. At one point in the boat's progress, it was grounded upon a rock that protruded in midstream. And seeing the pause, the bystanders redoubled their efforts. And they shouted and screamed, trying to arise the sleeping man, crying out to him again, get out of the boat and get on that rock. Get on the rock. But he slumbered on and oblivious to his extreme peril. With the movement of the waters, the boat was soon cleared from the rock and headed for the falls. And the poor man was finally aroused from his sleep only amidst the thundering roar of the great cataract and Niagara Falls over which he plunged to his death. How sad to fall asleep in the boat, calmly and unconsciously drifting into the waiting arms of tragedy, despair, and in his case, death. One trembles to even think of it. Yet how aptly this illustration, or this illustrates the indifference of souls today. Many, unconcerned to their fatal course, fast asleep in their sins, perhaps lulled on the tide by earthly pleasure, soothed into false confidence by their dependence on a blameless life or a religious profession. They are asleep in the boat. I'm preaching to everybody here today. Paul said in Ephesians, Awake thou that sleeps. The book of Acts said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 2, Take heed of the things which you have heard, lest at any time you let them slip. Another translation said, Or you drift away from them. We're like a boat that is borne along currents. And we must take heed lest we drift away from those things we have found and drift towards the things we've left behind in this old world. I want to submit to you here this morning, if God seems far away, 
Who moved? We find in the Scripture, listen carefully, we find in the Scripture many desperately sick, touched and healed by Jesus. Yet where do you read in the Scripture or the Gospel that He ever touched anyone twice? Where is there anyone healed of blindness twice? What about the cripple or the man with a withered hand? The dumb, those possessed of devils, the dead raised. No doubt Jesus could have done it, but we don't read that He ever did. Jesus healed, and there were no relapses. We need to be aware of relapsing into what we once were because the recovery from the relapse is oftentimes uncertain, always difficult, and in some cases it never happens. I must confess here this morning that I have someone in the back of my mind right now as I preach. They're not here today. Many, many efforts have been made by many people to get them here today. There's someone else, another family that I'm thinking of right now that fits this bill. They're not here today either. Getting them here is of utmost difficulty because somehow they've lost ground. Something offended them. Something hurt them. And they moved away from God. And they caught the worldly current. And now they're steeped in sin. And as their family wails and moans to God and travails on their behalf, and in trying to tell, touch the heart of God, to touch their heart, it seems that each day that passes, hope becomes more and more distant and more and more difficult to even see. Why? Because recovering lost ground is difficult to do when you stray away from God. There's damage that happens. It can happen in your marriage and it can happen with your kids. And where you may come back, perhaps your children never will. Preaching to everybody here today. There's a daily atmosphere that is about us. Worldliness and materialism. With its pulling us down pressure and tendency. The, that atmosphere, if you're not careful, will take you away from God. And it'll make it hard for you to pray. And it'll make it hard for you to read your Bible. And it'll make you forget what sin can do in the life of an individual. I believe it is possible for an individual to live life in such a way that there can finally be determined, not only here on earth, but also declared in heaven, that the glory, the glory that once permeated that person's life is now gone. It happens as light departs from a lamp in which there's no oil. It happens as fruitfulness departs from a tree wherein there is no sap. It departs as safety departs from a ship when the sea is led into it. It departs as thought departs from a mind when derangement is dominant. It departs as health departs from a body when a deadly disease has inhabited the blood. What tragedy when Ichabod or the glory hath departed is written above and over a once believing heart. What sorrow, sorrow sufficient to make angels weep. There's people here today, I would to God, that I could somehow shake you somehow, either physically, spiritually, emotionally, whatever it takes. But you're drifting. Some cases you've drifted away. 
and you've come up with all the justifications you can think of. Well, pastor, it's because of this, and it's because of that, but I'm here to submit to you today. Your life has not gotten summarily better since you've drifted away. In most cases, I could sit down with you for a moment and tell you, and you would have to agree that life has gotten summarily worse. There's folks in attendance here today that's gone that route before, but thank God for His mercy and grace that the praise team sang about today. You may made it back. You made a comeback. And you're here today and you're serving God better than ever. And I thank God for that. But if you will confess with me here this morning, even those of you that's come back will have to admit I've lost ground that I've never been able to recover. When the glory hath departed, as the autobiography of a life once faithful, once loyal, once devoted. What cause for grief when a man's life, once a life unselfish, becomes a life of stagnant selfishness, a life that centers in self. I will say it's a natural course that most people take. When you were once amazing in your relationship with God, and you walk away from God, then you have to turn to yourself. That's about all that's left. And so that's where you pour most time and energy. So that's why you justify it by saying, I have to work all the time, and I have to do this all the time, and I have to do that all the time. It becomes all about you. You have to do that because God is now absent in your life as you once knew Him. So what cause for sad regret when the body once yielded to God as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God ceases to be a channel through which the divine becomes articulate? What tragedy for a man and God when the life once possessed of the fruit of the Spirit which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, self-control is now a life which is manifest the works of the flesh, which is adultery and fornication and uncleanness and lasciviousness and idolatry and witchcraft and hatred and variance and emulation, wrath, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and the such like glory departs from a life that drifts away from God. There are many examples in Scripture. God has a hall of fame. Yes, He does. Some are great, including men of Abraham and Noah and so on. But not all the people in God's hall of fame are successes, but some of them are failures. They're not powerful, but they're weak. And they're not righteous, but they're sinful. One that is remembered as a complete failure is Lot's wife. And yet our Lord said, remember Lot's wife. He didn't say, remember John, Peter, or James, or Abraham, or Jacob, or David. Why? Because when she was compelled to leave sinful Sodom, she looked back. And God don't want His people looking back ever for any reason. I do not doubt that if a census were taken in this city today of the religious experience of the men and women that are out of the church now, it would be the terminology of Lot's wife translated to today. It would be more like, I used to live for God, Pastor. I was once interested in the things of the church. I held this office and that office. I taught Sunday school. But I became involved with the world. I said, I don't see what's wrong with this or that. And... 
it'll be all right to miss this service or that service. And once I was pure, but now I'm impure. Once I would only handle holy things, but now my hands have touched those things which are grossly sinful. I've lost ground. I've looked back, and it kind of reminds me of being like Lot's wife. Some of you may be aware that at least at one time, and probably still is as far as I know, there was a giant cable that was laid in the ocean between the United States and and Europe so that the continents could communicate with one another, a giant cable. In the fisheries exhibition, there was exhibited what was called a cable worm that had pierced through the great Atlantic cable and stopped the communication between the United States and Europe. It was a very insignificant little creature, but its power for mischief was unlimited. It blocked the communication between the two continents. Sin is the same way, and once it's unconfessed and unforgiven, it will stop our communication and communion with God. It is an odd but true characteristic of people that are doing things now that they would have never done several years ago, and now they do it on impulse. But, but they begin to dwell on things and even tamper with again and again. And over a lengthy period of time, they begin to drift away. It's like Venice, Italy, just slowly sinking into the sea. They erode deeper and deeper, almost imperceptive into the muck that will eventually destroy them. If a close friend or associate would try to warn them of their impending danger, they'd respond, what danger? Nothing has changed. I'm the same as always. And God knows in recent times past, I've had this conversation with folks that are sitting here this morning. You're on a slippery slope, I say. You're losing your direction, and you've heard me say many times from the pulpit, yourselves are set in the wrong direction. You may be in harbor now, but the wind of the world is blowing you away from God. And they always assure me, no problem, Pastor. We've got everything under control. Everything's going to be fine. But when you said from my vantage point, I can see that you're drifting away little by little, week in and week out. And so Wednesday night service has dropped out of your schedule, and pretty soon Sunday school has dropped out of your schedule, and, and you're prayerless, and you don't read the Bible. And then your family starts falling apart, and things start going awry on the job. And you want to say, God, what happened? And I'll tell you what happened. You look back. It's like the proverbial frog. You put in a pan of water placed over a simmering flame. There's no panic at the moment. But the water grows hotter and harder. And the frog eventually boils to death. It must have been devastating to the saints in the church of Ephesus if you read Revelations chapter 2 and 3. It must have been devastated to learn that God was displeased with them. Why, they asked, we're doing just fine. Their publicity release was impressive. The church at Ephesus in Revelation 3 was they were hard workers and they observed sound doctrine and they, they had a productive church. How could anything be possibly wrong with us? But there was something wrong and there was something very wrong. God told them through a messenger that he was displeased because they no longer loved him with the same intensity that they used to. That was it. 
God was saddened because they didn't love him anymore like they used to love him in times past. We would say today that they had become professional Christian people. They did all the right things at the right time. They could be found in their places of responsibility without fail. And there was, there, there was no, but there was no life to their expression. And they, they performed their actions from memory. And the fire had died in their hearts. And the passion they had for Christ was gone. It's a deadly situation. And it's hardly noticeable until the crisis comes. Then there's no power left in reserve. The Ephesian Christians were like Samson. When confronted by the Philistines, he boasted, Well, I'll go out just like any other time. And I'll take care of them boys. Send any number of them you want. But when he was confronted with the reality of that fateful day, when Delilah said, Samson, the Philistines be upon you, the Bible said he wished not that the glory had departed from him. Say, Pastor, do you have to be so negative? I'm not being negative. I'm being real. And my heart's heavy and my heart's burdened. I see our younger married couples and I see our young people. You're not getting closer to God. Yeah, you're faithful to church and you do all that stuff, but man, the prayer and the fervency is isn't there like it used to be. And I, I remember times when some of you first came, man, you couldn't keep you out of a prayer room. Now I never see you in a prayer room. Why? Because you're drifting. Have you ever realized that no one becomes overweight overnight? No one shows noticeable weight gain within an hour's time. And neither does a man become enchanted with his wife and family overnight to the point that he leaves. It's a process. It takes a little while to get there. A good leader in church doesn't go bad all in one day's time. There's usually an interval of frustration and anxiety. Paul said, Demas has forsaken me. That was tragic. John Mark did the same thing. But John Mark came back and Demas never did. He had been with Paul in his journeyings and he saw all the great things that God did. But he also saw the world. Demas fell away. And he never regained the lost ground. Let me assure all of you here today, life is no level plain, but a steep incline on which there is no standing still. And if you try to stand still, down you go. Either up or down must be the motion. And if you're not more of a Christian today than you were a year ago, then you're less of a Christian today than you were a year ago. So mature a servant of the devil is Judas. He wasn't purchased all at once. This was a process. It takes time to educate a man to sit in the scorner's seat. If you begin to slip on the side of a mountain of ice and you first may slip and it may not hurt if you can stop and slide no further, but alas, you cannot say so to regulate sin. When your feet begin to slide, the rate of descent increases and the difficulty of resting this motion is incessantly becoming greater. It's, a da- it's dangerous to backslide in any degree for we all know where it may lead. I'm preaching to you this morning with all of my heart. I mentioned a moment ago about the end time coming, and as we're facing now 2019, I never thought we'd see there, see the 2019, but I'm trying to help somebody with your New Year's resolutions, if you please. 
if there's anything positive you could do for yourself, is determine and not wait, not wait until 2019 gets here. I would start this afternoon. I'd find a place to pray. As a matter of fact, I, I would do it before church is over today. I'd make my way back up to the front of this building and say, God, I realize I've been drifting and I'm not the person I used to be and I'm not involved like I used to be and I don't love you as much as I used to and there's some things that's crowded into my heart and life. If I were you, I'd begin before the church is over to say, God, I'm going to start recovering lost ground. I want the things of God back in my life. I want commitment and devotion back in my life. I want to serve you closer than I ever have before. I'm telling you here today with all of my heart, life could become summarily better for you if you would. I want to say today, and not, I'm not pointing a finger of blame or, or accusation. I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm preaching to everybody. I'm preaching to everybody. I'm preaching to myself. Honest to God, I'm preaching to myself today. But I've often wondered if there's people that are divorced now that wouldn't be divorced if you hadn't started drifting. I wonder if there's people here today that your kids might be in church today if you hadn't started drifting. That's why I'm saying recovering lost ground is sometimes hard to do. And sometimes it's even impossible. And where you can't control what other people do, you can control the destiny of your own spirit and your own soul. And you may never get your kids back and you may never get your marriage back or anything else you've lost as a result of jumping out of church and into the world. But you can't, you, you yourself can come back. You can make a comeback. You can be what you need to be. You can serve God again. Yes, you can. I'll get to that point in just a few moments. But I want to encourage somebody here today that if you're like Simon Peter walking on the water and you're beginning to sink you may feel like you're beginning to sink and you may wonder why it could be for a number of reasons I'm going to give you a few here today but before I get to that I want to tell somebody there's hope for you today it ain't over it ain't over There's not a person in this house today that it's over for. No, it's not. The Bible said, For God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. The Bible said He's faithful and just to forgive sin if you ask Him. It ain't over, man. It's not over. It's not over. You can make a comeback. So, what causes drifting? What causes drifting? First of all, you may, you've never, maybe you've never gone deep enough with your relationship with God. There was a little boy one time that fell out of bed one night sleeping. His mother said, what happened? He said, I went to sleep close to where I got in. So true. You can't go to sleep in Jesus right where you get in. You got to stay awake and keep going. Hallelujah to God. The temple of God was a wonder to behold, but you can never see its splendor unless you're on the inside. It's important to make a living. It's important to work a job. It's important to be a good citizen. It's important to get a good education. But listen to Pastor to now, right now. In all of your getting, you better get all you need from God. causes drifting perhaps you've been hurt by 
sorrow or trouble or someone. In my opinion, these things ought to bring people closer to God. But oftentimes it has the opposite effect. Perhaps you've gotten in with the wrong crowd. You can't run with worldly people and not become worldly. I don't teach isolation either. I teach insulation. I think it's okay to have friends in the world, but you've got to remember where your priorities are. You've got to remember where to draw a line. I don't teach isolation. We're in the world, but not of it. And I believe you can be insulated. When I worked a secular job, I didn't allow the people on the job to, to influence me. And I've been persecuted because of it. I've been taunted because I didn't drink. And I've been taunted because I didn't run around on my wife and like they all did. But I drew a line in the sand. Can't run with the world and expect that not to wear off on you after a while. Maybe you're afraid of what others might say. You want to stand for your convictions, but there are those who would ridicule and afraid you'd lose ground because of it. Maybe you've neglected your Christian duties, prayer and witnessing and attending Sunday school and all of those things. I noticed somebody, family, past couple of Sundays here at Grace Church. I'm doing some of my January preaching in December, if you don't mind. Used to be a Sunday school teacher. Rolled in a couple of Sundays ago at 10.30 with her kids. I see the pattern develop. Pretty soon it won't come at all. When their kids become teenagers and they don't want to go to church anymore, you're going to wonder why. You need to hear me. I'm trying to help somebody here today. Say, well, Brother Murphy, it's early in the morning. 10 o'clock ain't early. You're at your job a whole lot earlier than that. And you take your kids off by the daycare center before you go. The symptoms of spiritual decline are the same as those for physical decline. When you lose an appetite for food, you're in trouble. When you lose an appetite for prayer, you're in trouble. When you lose your appetite for the wholesome things of life, you're in trouble. When you lose your appetite for the spiritual things in life, you're in trouble. If you had a prayer life and you've given it up, it'll be hard to start it again. And get back to where you were. If you were once faithful, but now you're missing. If you once tithed, but now you don't. It's hard to get going and all that stuff again. If once you were strong and had high convictions, it's, sometimes it's hard to make all that ground up. But you can do it. Not too many people that have. There's people here today that have. So, is there any way to recover lost ground? Is there any way to recover lost ground? Yes, there's three simple steps. First of all, you break off all that's wrong in your life. If there's something you're doing wrong, stop it. If there's places that you're going that are not right, stop it. If you're missing too much church, stop it. It's called discipline. Make yourself accountable to somebody. It's called accountability. Give somebody the permission to call you when you miss church and ask you, why weren't you here? And you promise to be honest. 
in the timberlands part of our country in the springtime sees many logs floated down the rivers. People who lumber trees or, or harvest trees for lumber will float the logs down the river and then harvest them some point later downstream. And the result is a log jam sometimes. And they have, a, they have people that can literally run out on those raw logs and detect a log jam and they'll jerk a log out of the way and so the flow continues. You have to, block, you have to unblock the log jam. So whatever it is that's going on in your life, you stop it. You say, well, Brother Murphy, I work too much to be in church. You had to sit down and have a chat with your employer. I'm trying to help somebody here this morning. That's all I'm trying to do. We lose our enthusiasm and interest in spiritual things. An hour in God's house becomes a bore, and the Bible becomes a silent book. You must find the key to open all that up again. Sit down and make an examination and probe every deed, every word and thought. God will show you the things that you that should not be in your life, and you, then you forsake them. You get rid of those things. I mentioned this a moment ago in conclusion. The second thing you do is you pray for forgiveness. I'm preaching to everybody here today, including myself. You pray the publican's prayer, God be merciful to me, a sinner. It's called the sinner's prayer, but it could also be called the backslider's prayer. It could be called the lukewarm's prayer. It could be called anybody's prayer. You storm the throne of heaven and ask for God's forgiveness. And as sure as the sun shines and the mountains stand and the rivers run and the leaves fall and human hearts love, just so God will forgive you as well. Don't listen to the devil. God wants to forgive your sins. God wants to wash away your guilt. Satan wants to publish your sin and drown you in guilt. Why do so many people opt for Satan's condemnation in the place of God's grace? Is it because they don't feel worthy of God's love? Such a shame. Real, honest love is so much a gift that no one deserves it. God's love cannot be earned. God's love is free to all who have freely accepted. Satan can only win with these lies if he can manage to render you too ashamed to even approach God. While Satan is piling upon you that very guilt God wants to give, remember this. All lies devalue something. As this lie devalues the cross itself and God's grace and the Scripture that reveals these things to us, Scripture teaches us the way of salvation, that it's not of ourselves, but rather it's a free gift of God. The Scripture reveals to us the God of the Gospels and the Christ of the cross. If there's any lie, the Bible contradicts again and again. It's this one that God can or won't forgive. For by His grace, God can forgive you what you did. He can forgive me for what I've done. Yes, He can. I want you to notice, if you'll stand with me this morning. Isaiah said that, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, 
God said, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. But I want you to notice, as the heavens are higher than the earth. Let's put this in perspective. All of you see this piece of paper. It has our service schedule on it. I don't want you to look at it this way. I want you to look at it this way. You see how thick that is? You see how thick this piece of paper is? Not this way. The side view. You see how thick it is? Look at it from the end. Look how thin that piece of paper is. Let me give you this illustration. Let's say that the thickness of this piece of paper is equivalent as the distance from the earth to the sun. 93 million miles. To get to the next nearest star past the sun, you would have to have a stack of this paper that would go 71 feet into the air. That thickness. To get to the edge of our galaxy, you would have to have a stack of paper 310 miles high. That's from here to College Station, Texas, where Texas A&M is and where the George W. Bush Library is. It's 90 miles northwest of Houston. You'd have to have a stack of paper to go from here to there. The limits of the known universe... From what we know of it, you would have to have a stack of paper like this 31 million miles high. Isaiah said, for as far above the earth as the heavens, so are the ways of God and the thoughts of God. You want to know how much he can forgive? The Bible said he'll take your sin and throw it away from you as far as the east is from the west which all of us know is just defined by one single word called infinity. There is no measure. That's what God does. That is the readiness of God to forgive those who seek Him while He may be found and call upon Him while He is near. With inward and outward repentance, God's forgiveness is not only better than we can imagine, it is far more than we can imagine. He's only waiting for you to come back to Him. The prodigal son's father had love, but the son had to come home in order for him to bestow it. And He has so ordered this service for you today. He knows who's here. And He knows what's going on with your life. I made an effort perhaps last Sunday to preach as hard and passionate as I am this Sunday. The response was amazing. And I trust the same will be so today. I want to say to everybody in this building, listen to pastor. I've got a room full of witnesses. There's people here today, if you continue on your current track, a year from now, you're going to be in a far desperate place than you are now. I'm not trying to be a prophet of doom. I'm just trying to be real. And I've seen it for some 35 years plus as pastoring. I've seen it in the lives of people, and I see it in some of us here today. But God's calling. There's not so much negative in your past that you can't recoup. God is not far from any one of us today. 
The Bible said that God is not slack concerning His promise to usward and is not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. Before I invite you to the front, I'm going to ask you to bow your head for a moment. And there's moms and dads here today with young children. I want to remind you that you know your path to God, but I'm not sure your kids do. If you keep drifting, you'll know how to come back no matter how old you get, but your kids may never learn. Think about that. There's needs in the lives of people all around you that you can minister to, but you're so far away from the glory that even sharing your witness and what God has done for you in the past is difficult to do. There's people here today, your marriage is in trouble. Your kids are in trouble. Your job ain't going to fix it. Having a lot of money is not going to fix it. You've got to get God back into the mix. I'm pleading with people here today. I'm pleading with you here today. Our young married couples... Please respond positively to what you've heard. Why don't you make it a family affair? Why don't you grab your wife or husband by the hand and say, Come on, honey, we're going to do this. We've drifted away. I wish I could serve you cotton candy here this morning and Make you all feel really good when you leave, but not today. It's time for some soul searching. It's time to take inventory, and it's time to start turning our priorities around. I'd rather be a pauper with Jesus in my life than a rich man without Him. I need Him every hour of every day, and so do you. So I'm going to ask you today, while the music's playing softly, And as the singer starts singing, would anybody make your way down to the front of the building and say, Preacher, I've heard what God is saying to me today. I've heard the voice of God in my life, and I want to make my way back. Everybody, would you come? Everybody, would you come and talk to the Lord for a little while? Would everybody come talk to Jesus for a little while? Would everybody come? That's right, folks, all across the building. Would you lift your hands and face heavenward? Would you lift your hands and face heavenward and talk to the Lord?
Everybody talk to the Lord. God, I can't afford to be less. God, I can't afford to be less. I can't afford to do less. I can't afford to be less. My family, my kids, my spouse, they're counting on me to lead them to you. Come on, somebody, talk to Jesus. Please talk to the Lord. Oh, God. Come on, folks, that's right. All across the house, talk to the Lord. All across the building, talk to the Lord. Everybody talk to Jesus right now. Would you pour your heart out to Jesus? Would you pour your heart out to the Lord? God, I need you right now. God, I need you right now. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. God, I need you right now. God, my family needs you right now. My spouse needs you right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 